Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I am your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me in studio today, I have Ms. Claire Thompson. Not, I'm right to say Miss, not Doctor. Yeah. Yes, because, yeah, I always get confused. It feels like all that work and then you don't get the doctor, you don't get the doctor <laughs> title. Much the same. Who is a consultant in, do you want to try and pronounce these things, gynecological oncology. That's, that's yes. spot on. Okay, amazing. Um so uh, at the matter private uh, here in Dublin, do you want to talk to me about what you do, what you see? I have some listener questions, but just get a sense of what your job is. It sounds like it's a pretty tough one. <laughs> Everyone's afraid of seeing you. I, I would, it, fair enough. Uh, but uh, thanks so much, Stephanie, for having me on. I really appreciate that. Um, so, so as you say, I'm a gynecological oncologist. And what that effectively means is... I'm a doctor or a surgeon that looks after women that are affected by gynae cancer. And we have the big five that we talk about, and that really is from the ovary or fallopian tube, from the womb or endometrial cancer, from cervical cancer, which is the neck of the womb. And then on the outside of the skin, the vulval uh, area can be affected by cancer as well. And we look after that, as well as a very rare type of cancer that you can get within the vagina itself. That's so terrifying. Um <laughs> And how, like, how common are, I think we hear a lot about cervical cancer because of obviously cervical check and um, it's a kind of a, like breast check, it's a smear test that we're all sort of opted into. Um, But the other cancers, ovarian, I think I've heard of a fair amount as well, but the other ones I haven't ever heard of. And how do you know? If you if you have these, like, what are the symptoms that you see people coming in with, or by the time they get to you, have they do they already know that something's serious? So the way the way our system works is we tend to see ladies that have any abnormal symptoms that their GP are worried about that might be suggestive of a gynae cancer, and we investigate them. Or we might also get ladies referred from another hospital that have already done a lot of the investigations and they actually know that they have a cancer. Oh, okay. Equally in the matter, we can get referrals from actually other hospitals in the country that have treated a lady for cancer and they maybe have an occurrence, recurrence or they maybe need a second opinion uh, mm-hmm. and we would do look after that in the matter as well. But you're absolutely right. A lot of ladies know about smears and cervical cancer naturally because of what we went through in Ireland, but because that is the screening test that we have. Mm-hmm. The other types of cancers, unfortunately, a cervical smear will only do what it says on the tin. It's a a screening test that tries to look for precancer changes in particular for cervix cancer. 
but but it won't pick up things like ovary cancer or womb cancer very easily. Um, and a lot of people actually sadly think that. So mm-hmm. they think that if their smear is normal, there's no chance there's they no can chance get an ovary cancer. Yeah. But, but that unfortunately is not the case. We have to be really honest that we don't have a screening test for ovarian cancer uh, at the moment. We're working on it. We're just not there yet. But is there one, like do other territories have them? No, across the no. world okay. there, there genuinely isn't a screening test. So what we have to do is try and encourage all women to really mind themselves and make them aware of some of the symptoms that are really common uh, that they can then go to their GP and start to get tested to see if anything is wrong. Mm-hmm. For, for ovary cancer, which obviously affects the ovaries and fallopian tubes, things that ladies can experience, um, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the adverts from Ovacom, they promote a mnemonic called BEAT, and that stands for bloating of the tummy that just doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It stands for if you can't eat the same amount, so you, you, can't, you feel very full even after a small meal. Mm-hmm. If you have pain in your tummy again that doesn't go away, or if you have any alteration in toilet habit, and, that's what I mean, and that means both bladder and bowel. Okay. Particularly for women over the age of 50, if there's like a new onset symptoms, like what people would think is just irritable bowel, that's usually not the case in women over their 50s. So they they should go and get checked out with their GP. In terms of cancer of the womb or endometrial cancer, the most common symptom you get uh, would be bleeding after the menopause. Okay. So any lady that has bleeding after the menopause should always go and get checked out. Okay. Um, now, unfortunately, younger women that haven't gone through the menopause can still get womb cancer, but it's it's nowhere near as common. But changes in your period, especially in your 40s that are really out of the blue and not settling down, again, that's a reason that you should go and see your GP. And would like mid-cycle bleeding at any time be a cause for concern so, as well or not really? So it's certainly, now, mid-cycle bleeding can be a very common symptom that ladies have and so a lot of the times it's something like hormonal that can yes. be sorted out very easily. But if you're having mid-cycle bleeding that really isn't settling down very much, it mm-hmm. is always worth checking with your GP. But certainly bleeding that isn't really, it's, it's very irregular, it's not even keeping with your pattern mm-hmm. at all and it's very persistent, um, uh, that's something definitely you should see your GP about. And what are the rates of like of these cancers and then of the survi- like the, the survival rates, I guess? So the most common cancer we see now in Guinea and, and, and what we call developed countries, I suppose, yes. is, is womb cancer now. And womb cancer is the most common cancer we would see in Guinea. We see, I think we see over maybe 700 cases a year. Um, uh, womb cancer is slightly different from the other cancers because you, you often do get a sign. Uh, and okay. you get that bleeding after the menopause and ladies very rightly go and get themselves checked out. It tends to be a cancer that we can find quite early uh, and there's a lot of treatments for it. The, the first treatment we tend to do is surgery, which, as you would understand, would involve removing the womb. So that's, that's a full hysterectomy. And we would test the little lymph nodes that drain the womb as well. And some ladies might need other treatment to maybe stop the cancer from ever coming back again. And that includes radiotherapy or maybe sometimes chemotherapy. Even if you've taken out the organ that had the cancer, could it come back somewhere else? Is that, and or? that, that It's like any cancer, unfortunately. Any, even if you treat the cancer really well, if you've had cancer, unfortunately, at some point, there's always a chance it might come back. Okay. And that's why we do everything we can just to make sure that we've treated everything as best we can. But equally, we put so much importance in trying to stop it from ever coming back. Okay. And when we get all the results back, if we think a lady, even if their cancer is gone, if we think that there may be a slightly higher risk of it coming back, we would really encourage them to get those other treatments. 
And in terms of womb cancer, radiotherapies like x-ray treatment that treats the area that the womb was, Mm -hmm. because that that can be the most common place that it would try to come back. And what are the risk factors? Like you say there, if we saw that a woman was particularly high risk, is that based on the blood results that came back? Or are there lifestyle or physiological risks that you can have that make you higher risk for these things? So in terms of womb cancer, the one thing that we really need to get out there to ladies is to really try and mind their diet and their weight. We have to be really honest. We know that a lot of womb cancer is actually directly linked to obesity. And 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 that's a big challenge that we're just seeing as a society and across all different countries now. And we know that if you are overweight or, and certainly if you are obese, your, your risk of endometrial cancer is higher. And is, sorry, is endometrial cancer and womb cancer, they those are the interchangeable? Thing. Apologies, okay, yes, they yeah. are. So very often we can we, we call it endometrial cancer because the most common place that it comes from is the lining of the womb, okay. which is the endometrium. But, but it, effectively it's womb cancer. So having a healthy lifestyle and keeping your body weight in a healthy range... Are there other risk factors? I mean, smoking is never really a great one, is it? Smoking is not great for anything, but in, in terms of wing cancer, the biggest thing is obesity. Um, we know that ladies, uh, the higher the estrogen level, um, it can sort of make the, the lining of the womb thicken. So in HRT, there was a chance years and years ago you might have just got one hormone for your HRT, which is estrogen, which thickened the lining of the womb. Okay. We don't do that anymore. Uh, if you are going through the change of life and you go on HRT, if you still have your womb, you must get two hormones. Okay. You get the estrogen, which is the worker and makes us feel a lot better, which is great. But we also give a hormone called progesterone and that keeps the lining of the womb thin uh, and stops that thickening from happening. Okay, great. But there's ladies that have other conditions like polycystic ovaries that maybe don't maybe have a period very often. Um, we know that those ladies, because they also might have a little bit of difficulty with their weight, they might be at a higher risk of womb cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's why part of their treatment is maybe to regulate their periods a lot better. And um, we maybe consider things like the marina coil, which helps keep the, the lining of their womb nice and thin. Uh, so we, there's ways we can there's ways we can reduce the risk. Uh, if we know a lady has things like polycystic ovaries. And the very other thing just to be aware of is like anything else, our knowledge and these cancers in terms of genetics is always getting bigger. Okay. And we know that there is a, a genetic link for endometrial cancer or womb cancer called Lynch syndrome. And it's not it's not a very common condition that we would see in Ireland, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. And if a lady is known to have a, a, a mutation in her genes that causes Lynch syndrome, she has a slightly higher risk of having womb cancer, colorectal cancer, breast cancer and ovary cancer. And what would cause someone to get, like how would you know if you had Lynch syndrome? So the honest answer, we're very much any lady that comes uh, with a new diagnosis of cancer, we always ask them about their family history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if they certainly have had a lot of bowel cancer or womb cancer in their family, uh, we always like to know that. But what we do now especially is any lady that comes with a new diagnosis of endometrial or womb cancer, we actually test the tissue that we take away at the surgery to see if there's a chance that it could have been caused by something genetic. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, we obviously refer that lady to the genetics team. They test that lady, so that lady that's affected, to see if she is a carrier of the gene for Lynch syndrome. And obviously, if she is, we would then obviously test their family uh, and so on. So we try and and do it that way. And then, so say she has a daughter who's, I Mm -hmm. don't know, Mm -hmm. late teens. Do you 
do you do like preemptive surgeries where you're like, well, this might happen, so we'll take it out now or... So in, in terms of Lynch-Sclerosis syndrome and, and womb cancer, the, the downside that we have is a bit like ovary cancer. Screening is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be quite invasive that you have to do biopsies to the womb and so on. And you don't want to put a young lady through that. But we look at their risk very carefully. And we do know that at certain ages that, that risk can really kick in. And so a bit like ovary cancer and the BRCA gene that mm-hmm. you'd hear loads about. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of guidance now for how you should manage these patients. And we would sit a lady and her family down, go through all this with them. And especially for somebody with a daughter or so on, we, we obviously talk to them. And risk-reducing surgery where you would remove the ovaries in the womb is definitely something that can be considered. But you would time that right in a lady's life. And we would advise them that when we feel their rate risk gets higher and that they could time their surgery around that point. Uh, but we would always really educate them really well so that if there was any symptoms or anything, they would obviously come come, come. and see us. And are there like, do other things like fertility treatments or being pregnant or not being pregnant, do those impact the risk of getting these cancers or not getting the cancers? We've no really direct evidence that any fertility treatment uh, causes a risk of developing these types of cancers. Mm-hmm. And it, it used to be the more children you had, it was maybe a little bit more protective, but society and things are changing and we're starting to realise now that in a lot of our cancers, the, the real risks are coming now from lifestyle and, okay. and genetics and so on. And that's why we're getting so much you know, more vocal at trying to encourage ladies to look out for symptoms mm-hmm. uh, and to come and see us if there's any problems. Um, I might move on to some listener questions, uh, if that's okay with mm, you. Sure. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, wow, she's an amazing lady. She did surgery on me last year. I can't wait to listen to the podcast. So hello to that person. Um, what yeah, signs or symptoms should we be looking for with these cancers? I think we've kind of talked about that through, haven't we? Um, the only the only one, who, if you didn't mind, Stephanie, the only thing I'd like to mention is, is vulval cancer. Like, okay. Vulval cancer is not a very common cancer that we see, but it's one that a lot of people ignore. And it's it's kind of one that for some reason ladies don't like to talk about okay. very much. And really, as well as those symptoms of bleeding and the problem with the tummy, it's always really good for us to check down below. And okay. it's not something we're ever really great at talking about but if, if ladies were noticing discomfort or itch in their skin on the outside of the vulva mm-hmm. or if they notice any skin changes or any little ulcers or anything that's it's always really important to get that checked out and do you do like a like a manual exam like we do for breast check is it, are we looking for lumps or are we looking for skin changes how does it really, kind of present really skin changes are a big thing that okay. we ask ladies to look at and nobody ever thinks of looking down below which is fair yeah who, who I mean, has, it's hard to who, look at it <laughs> hard to look at it and, Physically who, has, like and who has time fine. and you know it's just really sometimes even now and again if you, if you just to check the skin and make sure it's okay and especially if you're starting to feel things so if you are noticing a, an itch or a discomfort that but you would, hadn't really had like before like there's an add on all the time about canister about like thrush yeah. like would it not like is so would be if you're kind of treating something like that you think is thrush that won't go away exactly and yes yeah you're saying no it's just thrush I'll do that but it's still there in, mm-hmm. in a few weeks you know it, you know it's worth just checking or talking to your GP again and maybe getting them to just to double check everything's okay yeah I guess it is one that people are reluctant to go to their GP with you know yeah. and, and we still we still see that now and uh, you know it's just to really encourage ladies that it, it's okay to get that all checked out and mind yourself from that point of view as well and this might sound like a strange question but uh, 
with say you have pubic hair, mm-hmm. is that going to cover or is the vulva like the part that has no hair? So the vulva is like the, the skin on the outside uh, down below. So it's made up of two parts. It's the labia. Uh, yes. So which and the really the reason we have it is it's an area of skin that kind of protects the important stuff on the inside. Okay. So the opening to the bladder and the vagina and so on. And yes, I totally understand it can be quite hard sometimes, especially if, if there's hair in the way, but it, it just, it is really worthwhile just getting used to what, and once you get used to what actually you're like, you actually really can notice a change, change a lot easier, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, do you, does the doctor think it would be possible for CA125 blood tests to be done perhaps with a smear? I'm having my third reoccurrence of ovarian cancer and people still ask me, why did I not get tested earlier? There's no test for ovarian cancer, but women need to be aware that a smear test will not detect. And and I could not agree more with your listener. And we still find a lot of ladies that ignored symptoms because their, their recent smear was fine. And they didn't think that they could still get an ovary cancer if their smear was negative. So your, your listener is absolutely right. They issue that we have, as I, I was saying to you, is even in 2023, we don't have a screening test for ovary cancer. And there's no think test that you can do that every person with ovarian cancer has like this, you know, like so she's saying here, um, a blood test, CA125 blood test. Does that mean that every person who has ovarian cancer will come up positive on that blood test? And and, and that's the reason we don't have a screening test. Yes. The CA125 is a blood that you we will find that we use a lot for ladies that were worried about ovary cancer or mm-hmm. that have it. But it it really only goes up in 80% of ovary cancer. So not not a, not every ovary cancer, as you say, will be positive for it. And it doesn't it doesn't tend to go up very often in really early stage. Mm-hmm. So that that's why we can't use it as a screen test. And I suppose personally the big worry I have is that if a lady had a normal CA125 but was still having symptoms, she might ignore them because she's she thinks that the CA125 is is Fair. normal, so yeah. I'm grand. Mm-hmm. But really she should be getting herself checked out. I have another question here. Oh, that's my amazing surgeon. Maybe some info about the BRCA gene. I was 35 and had O and T removed surgical menopause. What's the, do you want to just tell us about the BRCA gene and how that? So the, the BRCA gene is uh, I, pretty much you can inherit or or you can actually be the index case of a BRCA gene as well. There was a famous person, wasn't there, no, who had the BRCA our, gene? Our poster girl is Angelina Jolie. Yes, okay, uh, yes. Angelina Jolie is a BRCA1 carrier. There's two, two genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2. And Angelina Jolie was BRCA1 and she came out in the New York Times and announced this and that she'd gone on under her risk-reducing surgery. So she had a bilateral mastectomy and she had her ovaries and tubes removed. And then she surgically removed Brad Pitt and then <laughs> seems to have done very well since it's... that. Uh, but really what they find in America is the day after Angelina Jolie did that, the request for BRCA testing went up 600% oh in the year. So it just shows you, so powerful, it just shows you like, it? what can happen. But in terms of BRCA testing, we know that this is obviously linked to both ovarian and breast cancer in women. And really what we advise ladies, if they're known to be a BRCA mutation carrier, mm-hmm. um, like I say, unfortunately, there still is no good enough screening test for ovary. So we always alert those ladies to stay in touch with us if they have any symptoms. We counsel them extremely well. And if a lady is a BRCA1 mutation carrier and she's 35 and her family is complete, um, there is certainly a view that she should consider uh, having her ovaries and tubes removed as a protection. 
Why not the breast? The, the breast now, the, the breast team very much could tell you a lot better than that. We, okay. te- we tend to counsel the ladies regarding their ovaries, but there, there is the option to consider a bilateral mastectomy as well. And it's a, it's a big undertaking for any lady. Uh, and she needs to be counseled really well that that's the right thing for her to do. Mm-hmm. But certainly risk reduction mastectomy can can be done. In BRCA2 carriers, we can, we know that those genes act a little bit differently and those cancers tend to present or happen later. So we can actually increase that up to 45, which is really good. Um, but we still would recommend they consider having that surgery after that age. And so who should be getting tested for having the BRCA gene? Like if your mother or grandmother had breast cancer or ovarian cancer, should you be just as a as a precaution getting these tests? Or so the other, We have to be really honest. We know that uh, in ovarian cancer, we think it's many about 15% of, of what we see is related to the BRCA gene. Okay. So the honest answer is it's not every cancer. And you'd be really honest with a lady in the clinic that you say, listen, we're going to test you for this gene to see if you have it. But the majority of cases, it unfortunately has just been one of those things. Okay. And you and me walking down the street, we have about a 1 in 52 chance of getting ovary cancer in our lives. Breast cancer, it's 1 in 9. You know, so okay. unfortunately, these cancers can happen. But if a lady has has a new diagnosis of ovarian cancer, we're now a lot better at testing all these ladies to see if they're affected. Because obviously that has implications both for them in terms of some newer treatments that we know work really well for ladies that have the BRCA gene. Uh, and also any lady, they'll just be worried about their family and making sure that they're all well looked after. And we need to do that too. Um, another question from a listener. Anything that you can do to prevent CIN3 lesions leading to cervical cancer? The, the honest answer is I just encourage every single lady to look after themselves and go for their smears whenever they're summoned. Okay. And the idea of the smear is that we do pick up these precancer lesions in the cervix. That, so that's that CIN that your listener's talking about. And there's three different grades of that. It's, it's CIN1, 2 and 3. And a lot of time in the CIN1, the early stage, a lot, if a lady's really fit and well, they, they may actually just get rid of that themselves and mm-hmm. they can just be watched and minded really well. But if they start to go into that slightly higher grade of change, that, that CIN3, we usually offer them a treatment to try and help get rid of that and try and get them back to normal again. And the treatment usually involves a, a thing called a LETS procedure, which for you and me just means that we take that a little bit of tissue from the area of the neck of the womb where we know the changes in the cells are. Mm-hmm. So we try and get rid of them that way and try and get a lady back to normal again. So really going for your smear in the when you're the called is the first place and to be honest that there's no better thing that you can do that way go into the, if you do then need to go to colposcopy which is the clinic where they do these treatments and mind you really well that way and then making sure that you go back for your checkups and stuff to make sure the treatments have worked that that is the best way uh, of trying to prevent those pre-cancer changes from going into cancer. cancer. Should every woman go to a gynaecologist or only if something is wrong? My female friends in the US all have a gyne. Should we be more proactive in Ireland? <laughs> and and she, your listeners are absolutely right. And, and a lot of European countries are like that too. Uh, but ourselves in the UK uh, and so on would, would not be really that way. We, we try and target... Uh, you know, your treatment and your assessments of ladies. So if a lady has symptoms, absolutely. You go and see a gynecologist and get checked out. But really, there's no real body of evidence out there that says that if you go every year to a gynecologist, you're any really better off. 
you must make sure that you can get access to a gynecologist if you have symptoms or any worries. Yeah. And that's the bigger focus for us in terms of research, making and resource, making sure we can get to those ladies that really need us uh, and get them sorted out. Um, should you have a vulva smear if you've had a total hysterectomy? So if a lady's had a total hysterectomy, uh, what that means is that they've had the womb and the neck of the womb and occasionally the fallopian tubes and the ovaries as well taken away. And what happens after that is that the, the histopathologist looks at the neck of the womb and if if there's no precancer changes or, or everything's okay, a lady actually doesn't need to get any more smears done. And you're like, yes. Uh, and usually we write those results to the GPs and we inform the cervical check programme that a lady doesn't need to get any more smears done. But if there has been any sign of those precancer changes in the neck of the womb or a lady has maybe had a cervical cancer, then she may actually still be asked to get what we call a vault smear, which is we take a little smear just at the top of the vagina where the womb once was. Okay. Uh, and we just check that. Um, is an intense itch of the vulva over a year waking me up now something to worry about? I'm 44 and overweight. The, the honest answer, like I was saying, if you have any kind of itch or irritation of the vulval area that's really not going away and certainly isn't responding to anything like Candiston, you should get that checked out. Okay. Now that doesn't necessarily mean there's something really bad, but a bit like, it's a bit like the cervix. There can be a little in inflammation condition of the vulva called lichen sclerosis mm -hmm. that actually can lead on to a little precancer. Uh, of the skin so it, it, it's something that if it's picked up really early it's very treatable and it's definitely worth doing Great We all know neck and back pain can be so debilitating The good news is the vast majority of spinal problems can be treated successfully by regaining movement flexibility and strength Whether you have an existing condition or a recent injury Matter Private has centres of excellence for spinal care in Dublin Cork and Limerick to provide you with comprehensive diagnosis treatment surgery and rehabilitation with daily clinics in five locations, it means you can access the expert spine care that you need without having far to travel, no matter where you live. Making the right move is important. And when you have neck or back pain, you want to be treated by Ireland's leading spine experts. You want a team who can look after everything spinal from the straightforward to the most complex conditions. For everything spinal, visit matterprivate.ie to find out more. Hi, sorry. Um, oh God, um, I didn't mean to interrupt your podcast. Yes. Sorry, uh, I'm young. Yes, I'm hot and I'm gay and we're young hot guys. Yes, yeah. yeah we uh, apologise for interrupting, but we have our own podcast. Yes, it's also on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting, but it's really good. And um, yeah, I didn't want to say this, but it's actually really, 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 really good. Funny. Really funny. And My mum says so. We are three guys, but we're not real blokey. Do you know what I mean? We're soft and friendly and nice. Yeah. Exactly. Like like this timid request to ask you to listen to our podcast. Exactly. Yeah. We're not going to bash you over the head. No. We're approachable men. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, <laughs> yeah. when you're finished this one, don't, yeah. don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a good part coming up. But if you don't, we will bash over the head. I know people. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. No threat. Would you recommend a regular blood test for ovarian cancer to catch early? Like no, we said, no. Uh, it really, well, it was really back to the CA125. And there, there was a massive trial done in the UK uh, back, oh, it, it must be, it's out about five or six years now. It's called the UK C-Tox trial. And in, in fairness, we thought this was going to give us the answer. When it came to screening for ovary cancer, it was like 200,000 women. They threw a lot of money at this. Mm -hmm. And they randomised ladies to getting the blood test, a blood test and an ultrasound or no screening, so nothing. And they were really hoping that one of the intervention groups where they got the blood test or the ultrasound would, would lead to a benefit. But they had to be really honest when they did the follow-up that it didn't. Okay. Uh, and so that's why we really recommend that ladies 
mind themselves well and if they have any symptoms, they come and see us. Advice for a younger BRCA1 patients with a 40 to 60% chance of ovarian cancer. So if someone knows they have the BRCA1 gene, mm-hmm. would they be already under someone like you? They t- yeah, they tend yeah. to be. So they're usually well linked in with our services and, and we do have proper chats with them and so on. And, and like I was saying, we, we do mind them. We tend to maybe do an ultrasound scan when we first meet them, but we'd be really honest then that doing an ultrasound every year may not be hugely beneficial. Um, and what we do is we make them aware of the symptoms and so on. Uh, but like I was saying, there, there's really good guidance now on how to, how to, to manage how it. To manage it. And we start, we start talking to them about surgery when it's appropriate to do so. Um, what is the likelihood of ovarian cancer coming back when you do have the BRCA1 gene? So any ovary cancer, even if you take the BRCA out of it, um, what we know, unfortunately, about ovary cancer is whenever we meet ladies that are diagnosed, it tends to be at a more advanced stage than other cancers. I with guess, ovarian? With ovarian. Okay. Ovarian, the downside is I treat five cancers and they actually they're all very different mm-hmm. and it's hard to keep up and keep your head around things. But ovary cancer acts very differently and it does tend to spread that that bit when and you do find it at a more advanced stage. And the treatment is usually a combination of surgery and uh, chemotherapy, so like a system treatment. And the surgery can be a massive surgery because uh, unfortunately it can spread to other organs like the bowel and it's cling film line we have on the inside of our tummy wall called the peritoneum and it can go to lymph nodes and up to all our organs like the spleen and around the liver. And so surgery for, for ovary cancer, it, it can last several hours and we might have to operate on many other organs like the bowel and so on, as well as doing the hysterectomy and stuff mm-hmm. that we need to do. Ladies then can either have, they sometimes have chemotherapy just before their surgery or they have all their chemotherapy after their surgery. And our treatments are getting a little bit better in terms of trying to prevent these cancers coming back because we, we know that ovary cancer, unfortunately, because it tends to be at a more advanced stage, will always try and come back. And and that's whether you have the BRCA gene or not. It, it doesn't, okay. you know, it, it will always try its best to try and come back. But that's why we monitor ladies really well. Um, we have more of these newer treatments that are coming out that are like maintenance treatments. So you've had your big treatment to treat mm-hmm. your cancer, but we, we put you on these other treatments to try and keep the cancer away. Okay. And does it, is that a case of it try, the ovarian cancer tries to come back so there's like a tiny cell or two left after that surgery and that just continues to multiply? Or can it be completely eradicated and come back anyway? So in terms of the surgery, the, the way the lady that trained me uh, used to describe it in a way in that the surgery, if you break a glass on the kitchen floor, the surgery is where you like pick up the big bits that you yeah. can see with your hand. And the chemotherapy is a bit like when you get the Hoover, Hoover out, out. Uh, for, the tiny to, bits. for the tiny bits. The downside is even if we genuinely cannot see one trace of the cancer still left, we know that because it's just been there before, that there, there's a chance that it can come back again. Okay. Is bladder pressure when peeing a week after ovulation a cause for concern? Now, some ladies can get symptoms, especially around their cycle time and especially mid-cycle. Um, if it's something that's persistent and really starts to happen a lot and, and sort of just generally all, uh, in different times of the month, it, again, it's worth che- getting checked out. And sometimes it can be just because there's other things that are happening mm-hmm. uh, in the womb of the ovaries, like maybe maybe an ovary cyst that is okay or yeah. maybe a change in the womb. So it's something that if it's happening all the time, you shouldn't put up with because even if it's not a cancer, it might be something still that can be very treated. Do I need a GP referral or can I just ring any gynecologist and book in? The, the honest answer is we very much advocate that you would see your GP. Okay. Uh, and then they can sort of, it's, it's not so much 
it, we, we very much are very keen that women come and see us if there's any problems. Equally, the GP is incredibly helpful because sometimes there can be more other investigations that can be started while a lady's waiting to okay. see somebody, first of all. So they might refer you for some blood tests or something. And the other thing is sometimes it actually genuinely might be something else and you might actually need to see another type of doctor as well. Okay. And the GP can also then see maybe what type of gynecologist you can you really need to see because there's we're all different actually. All I do really is cancer, but if it was something to do with the bladder, sometimes it's a urogynecologist that you really need, mm-hmm. uh, or, or somebody you know from that point of view. So it's it's good to get your GP's thoughts because they actually might save you time and hassle. They might get you to the right place a lot quicker. Okay, um, are vaginal cysts common? Vaginal cysts can be common uh, enough, and now usually they're 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 a very benign thing, so they're, they're not too much to worry about. But if it's one that was anything like increasing in size or causing a lot of symptoms or any bleeding or discharge from it, absolutely, you should always get that checked out. The symptoms of women's cancer seem to be so silent. Can you go into warning signs or lesser known symptoms? So, in terms of, if you ever, um, we have. I've tried to really promote, especially through charities like Overcome, like the, those symptoms of ovary cancer, which we, we briefly mentioned, the beach, the beach yeah. So the the bloating, uh, feeling full really early, the abdominal pain, the change in toilet habit. Womb cancer and uh, cervical cancer, they tend to be more kind of a, a regular bleeding or discharge okay. type symptoms. But you can get pain as well uh, and bloating, so that you would always need to go and get that checked out. And the vulva one we briefly touched on, that sort of changes to the skin, itch, discomfort, maybe seeing a, a, a little ulcer or lesion there that you never saw before, that stuff that you need to get checked out. And do you find that um, many women come to you but they have been previously diagnosed with like IBS that bloating like is there are there common misdiagnoses let's say the honest answer is in terms of ovary cancer in particular it can be just really tricky and we we promote those four big symptoms because they tend to be the most common ones but there's other you know more vague symptoms that Ladies just generally maybe just don't think are relevant. I can't remember the last time I wasn't tired. I'm sure you're the yes. same, <laughs> especially at the minute. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's can be very vague things. I think if you just have been generally feeling unwell and things aren't settling, you should always see your GP. It can be really hard for a GP to try and figure out what what is this and, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't want to scare or worry people too much or, or send them for unnecessary tests that can sometimes be quite invasive. But GPs have got so much better at being aware even themselves of the ovary cancer symptoms and they, they will start to do those ultrasounds and that, those CA125s for those ladies that have symptoms. Okay. And there is that increased awareness now that IBS shouldn't suddenly happen when you're in your 50s. If, if You might just check out, see if everything else is okay before you settle on that diagnosis. Yeah. Um, is there a connection between adenomyosis and gyne cancer? So adenomyosis is where the lining of the womb can sort of migrate or get entrapped in the muscle layer of the womb. Is it How is it different to endometriosis? And endometriosis is where the lining of the womb forms outside of the womb. Okay. Uh, so endometriosis can give you a lot of pain. It can cause cysts on your ovary. It can cause issues with your bowel sometimes as well because that lining of the womb is on, is on the outside where it really shouldn't be. Okay. Adenomyosis where it actually goes into the, the muscle wall of the womb and it, it can cause more issues like, like pain and painful periods and really heavy periods. It can just be very unpleasant that way. 
it, it doesn't tend to be a condition that can evolve in, in cancer very often. It's exceptionally rare. Um, but again, it can cause those types of symptoms that may be easily managed. And again, it's worth ca- talking to your GP. Um, is complex endometrial hyperplasia with atypia a cause for concern? <laughs> you might tell Perfect. us what that is. <laughs> so what we know about, so this is back to womb cancer again or endometrial cancer. Yeah. What we know is a bit like cervical cancer where I said there's there's a pre-cancer. Mm-hmm. Womb cancer we now know is the same. Okay. Uh, for, well, for a certain amount of womb cancers, it's the same. There, there is a sort of an abnormal thickening of the lining of the womb and then the cells can change. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it underneath a microscope, they come out with this name. And it's it's compa- complex atypical hyperplasia. And what it means is that the cells look abnormal uh, in the lining of the womb. And what they term that as is it's not a cancer, but it's a pre-cancer. And if you don't get treatment for it, it might go on to form a cancer. And what is the treatment for that then? So there's different treatments. A lot, a lot of things actually include lifestyle modification. They even losing weight can actually reverse some of these changes. Okay. There's things like the marina coil, which is that progesterone, which thins the lining of the womb. We sometimes use that, especially in younger ladies or ladies that maybe can't have surgery. But very often, if, if we find a precancer there in the womb, because we know it's hard to sort of look after longer term, ladies might be very happy enough to consider actually just removing the womb. And that, that treats it. Uh, if you take away the womb, that's it gone. Do we know why weight, excess weight, leads to these cancers? Is it because the fat cells carry more estrogen or mm-hmm. something? That's exactly it. Oh. Yeah. No, you're spot on. We know that all of us actually, and it doesn't matter what weight you are, all of us, but our fat tissue will produce a little bit of estrogen uh, or, or estrogen type, you know, uh, chemicals. And if, if we have more fat tissue, then there's a higher level of that. Okay. Um, a bit like I was talking to you about the HRT earlier on. If what we know, we absolutely can't give ladies estrogen HRT on its own if they still have their womb, because we know that'll cause problems. Okay. And being overweight is is nearly the same. We know that that higher estrogen level can sometimes cause thickening of the lining of the womb, and then it can maybe evolve into that little precancer, that complex atypical hyperplasia, and maybe go on into a cancer. And I know that y- you have a specialty in gynecological oncology but is that just in oncology in general do these excess fat cells in men and women lead to like is there a link between cancer and obesity in more than just the gynecological cancers absolutely and you know it's something that we're just seeing more and more especially now because our society is changing Mm -hmm. and we're starting to see a lot of cancers that we now can can link to obesity Obviously, I, I deal in the gynae side with womb cancer in particular, but, but there's there's several other cancers out there that are that are linked to obesity as well, and it, it's but it's it's a tricky one. It's it's not easy. Uh, yeah. You know, it generally isn't easy, and we know it's not easy to to tell ladies to really mind their weights, and, and but it's something that we really should be promoting and trying our best to do, and that that includes me as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the possibility of skip lesions for high-grade CGIN and your view on hysterectomy in such a diagnosis. So in terms of, if, if I start to try and explain it from from this actual cancer point of view, the most common, every, every cancer organ, you can get different types of cancer just to make it even more complicated. So although okay. it's cervix cancer, there can be different types. Okay. And the most common type you see is a thing called squamous cancer. And we know that that's caused by that CIN lesion yeah 
But there's another type, it's, it's just not as common, it's called adenocarcinoma. Mm-hmm. And that's caused by that what's called C-gen. And it's it's a glandular cell that, that causes it. So it's just, it's just a slightly different type of cell uh, okay. that causes the cancer. And we know there's a slight difference between those two lesions. And that glandular one can sometimes happen a little bit higher up in the actual neck of the womb, in the actual canal okay. uh, of the cervix. And for that reason, if any lady has a biopsy or, or you know, a, a treatment that shows that, we actually have really good guidelines that you have to go to a certain depth on your, your treatment. Okay. So that let's treatment where they take like a, a loop of tissue away, it has to be a certain depth to okay. be sure that you haven't missed a little lesion higher up. Okay. If that, yes, that makes sense. It does, yeah. But in terms of every, if a lady is persistently having these pre-cancer changes, it is not unreasonable that even if she's had several treatments and can't get rid of it and it's still there and her, she's maybe through the menopause or her family is complete, it sometimes is a conversation that we have with them that we could remove the womb and the neck of the womb at a hysterectomy because obviously that takes away uh, the risk of these ca- these pre-cancer cells coming back or, or maybe evolving into a cancer. And with the surgical with the hysterectomy, so mm-hmm. surgical menopause, are there supports for women then like say if this woman is finished her family she's 35 Mm -hmm. and it's recommended look we think does she go into early menopause then and or would you be put on HRT? So, so it very much depends on what the the, the need for the hysterectomy is. And okay. if, it, if it's for those pre-cancer or persistent, you know, because a lot of these pre-cancer actually, that those simple tr- simpler treatments actually are really effective. effective. Yeah. So the majority of ladies, first of all, they need to know that actually you, a lot of them will be just sorted out by getting getting the treatment in the couple of whatever. So, yeah. so it's, it's it's just it's those ladies that just for some reason we just we can't clear. And if it's because of those pre-cancer lesions in the neck of the womb, very often we just need to take the womb, the neck of the womb and the fallopian tubes away. We can actually leave a lady's ovaries. Uh, so they wouldn't... Do they just float around then? I don't really know the, <laughs> I don't really know the yeah. so shape your, of it all. Your ovaries are sort of more at the side of your pelvis and, and okay. the blood supply actually comes from uh, the big blood vessel that goes along our back. So okay. you can actually very safely take your womb away and leave your ovaries behind. That they'll actually they'd be grand. But do they uh, still release an egg? And where does that go then? So they still, the most important thing is actually they release the hormone and okay. so they still get the hormone benefits and that obviously stops the lady going for, through what we would call the surgical menopause uh, which can be a bit grim because it, you know you don't get that run into it it sort of it happens it just quite quickly, happens quickly. Um, and also you have to remember our ovaries as tiny and uh, as they are they they do big function for us so they help protect our bones uh, and so on and, and various other health benefits so if there's any safe way that we can leave them uh, especially in a lady that hadn't gone through the change of life, we absolutely would. would. Okay. Um, is there anything else that we need to know that we need to look out for that, I mean, I think we've learned GP is the first port of call, not to ignore symptoms, uh, try and look after our health and our weight. And what else do we need to know? <laughs> There is so much, and I suppose I don't want to really overwhelm your listeners in any way, but we just need to have a better awareness of ourselves. And there's no better person for looking after yourself than yourself. You know yourself, uh, and it's really good just to keep an eye out for those symptoms or any changes that you notice. For ladies out there that have them or if any of their family are being affected uh, by gynae cancer, I certainly would really encourage them to get 
you know, get good information and get reliable information. Unfortunately, Google has its fair share of unreliable information. And TikTok. And TikTok <laughs> and everything. Well, I don't even, I don't even go there. My, my niece shows me how to use it and I just shrug my shoulders. Um, so in the matter, we've actually created a website for women and their families. And it's got, it's www.thisisgo. So just thisisgo.ie. Mm-hmm. The thing that we try and make it is we make it really specific to the to the lady. So there's all the different cancer types. She puts in what cancer she has, what stage she has, and we try and keep the information that she gets to what she really needs. Okay, so, so it's they're, not, not, they're not too overwhelming. The other thing for ladies that are going through this, you know, I chat to them in clinic, uh, you know, about the physical and their treatments and so on. And I'd love to be able to help them more. And we, we found out that, you know, ladies, they maybe don't tell us about the other things that they really want to talk about. And sometimes that can be things like, you know, sexual dysfunction. They don't know how to tell their child that they've cancer. There's financial issues as well, how they deal with work and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that stuff's really massively important. And, and this website helps deal with that side as well. And also shows you what supports are available in your local area. So although it's created by uh, the UCD team uh, and Donald Brennan and his team, uh, it's not specific to Dublin. You know, a lady in Cork can get as much benefit from this as anybody. And it's also got an option for healthcare professionals. So they can also find out more about our cancers and what's what's available around them as well. I suppose I I, I meant to ask you about the HPV vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's now being offered to teenage boys and girls I mm-hmm. think through the school what does that prevent and how much of the cancers that you see are caused by HPV and and and, and the absence of that vaccine so the HPV vaccine came in uh, for us in Ireland 2010 yeah and we did really well to begin with like we did really well we, our uptake was maybe like 86% at one point and unfortunately around 2015 that really went down for various reasons and we're really working hard to get it back up again it, it's it's very much across the world. It's in more than 100 countries and places like Australia and Italy have been really proactive and they are really seeing the impact now. Like, can you totally eradicate some the ana- types of cancers with it? So the one that obviously we would talk about the most be cervical cancer and obviously that affects our women and we know that about 99% of cervical cancer is caused by the HPV virus. So if we can nail this, uh, we can really make a massive difference. And it, it does cause other cancers. So it actually can cause vulvar cancer as well. HPV. Mm-hmm. And okay. vaginal cancer. So those kind of tracks, the cervix, vagina and vulva, it can affect. So for women, that's it. That's the biggest area. But it can also cause like oral cancers. And in, in men, it can also cause anal cancer and an oral cancer. So it's a it's a cancer. It's a, it's a virus that can actually, unfortunately, do a lot of impact you know it can, it can cause a lot of damage I was listening to a podcast recently about you know the numbers are reducing but any of the numbers of young people that are dying of these cancers caused by HPV are completely unnecessary like people don't have to be dying of this because this vaccine is available now and the honest the way to look at that is that the HPV virus it, it is a virus and if you're young and if you're fit and well and healthy you, you could actually just get rid of the virus yourself mm-hmm. But we know that there's a lot of people that maybe find that difficult and especially people that have maybe had a reason where their health hasn't been as good or their, their, immuno, their immune system is a bit suppressed. They find it really difficult to get rid of these viruses. But generally, if we know that a virus can cause that much trouble with cancer and we have a vaccine, yeah. the, the, we were really encouraging everybody to get the vaccine. 
And I, I know vaccines are a controversial subject in general sure, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, and it's very difficult, but it's been over 100 million have got the HPV vaccine now and we, we really have good data that it is safe and it can cause some mild side effects, which any any vaccine, vaccine can. Can, can do. Uh, but we would really encourage people both to get their sons and their daughters uh, vaccinated. And does it give us hope for other vaccines against cancer like if because I know anyone with a logical mind Mm -hmm. who if they're like oh we have a vaccine for breast cancer like that people would take it but is it just that there's so many different types or causes of breast cancer that we'll never really have a vaccine for cancer I think that's part of it but I think like we're I think we're only really starting our journey now with vaccines and 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 really taking cancers back to nearly even beyond the cell going Mm -hmm. right down into the gene and and the DNA of things so I think we're starting to enter into a really exciting time in medicine I think we're, we're going to really take the barriers right, you know, back uh, and try and break these diseases down into what they've actually been made up from. So you never know what the future will hold, but I absolutely agree with you. There's some conditions that we know that, you know, those type of treatments may not be an option. Yeah. But we need to really then work on the others. Because uh, so it'd be work. great to see you out of a job. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be delighted. You know I I would be delighted. Uh, Claire Thompson, thank you so much. Um, and thank you to our listeners for submitting those questions. I hope that has been helpful. And that is another episode of Basically. Uh, our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara. We're produced by Hilary Barry and we're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 